Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Today's reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, from the New Living Translation. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Eugene, for that. I reckon Eugene could have been a radio announcer too. You know, they, I should really get a job picking out, I reckon, radio announcers. We've got a few radio announcer voices in our congregation. They're beautiful to listen to. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are here by your spirit this morning. We, it's good to be together to worship you, to hear from you, to be encouraged by you, to care for one another to bear each other's burdens as you call us to. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to us deeply by your spirit this morning. Challenge us, call us, provoke us, move us. Challenge us. Help us to know deeply your presence and your love and your peace and joy and hope this morning, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, did you, uh, did you hear about the man who woke up one Sunday morning and he declared to his wife out of the blue that he wasn't going to go to church today? She was a bit taken back and she said, but honey, you have to go. He said, he responded, give me three good reasons why I should go. He said, well, one is you're a Christian and you usually go to church and worship God on Sundays. He said, two, you love to sing and you love to pray, especially you love to do that with other people. And three, she said, well, you're the pastor and you're giving the sermon this morning. Now, I'm sure that none of our pastors ever, ever feel that way. Perhaps other churches, but not in this church. We are always jumping out of bed eagerly on a Sunday morning at six o'clock. But uh, maybe you felt like this yourself on a Sunday, or you know people who do love Jesus but actually don't like the church. People who don't want to be a part of it anymore. Often we think that it's only people who aren't Christians who, who, uh, put off, who are put off by the church. You might be surprised to hear, though, that actually there are a lot of people who love Jesus 
but who don't like the church. In fact, in our latest national census, it showed that around 45% of Australians actually identify themselves as Christians. 45%. That's Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Protestants, and all the varieties in between. But despite there being 45% of our population, that's our entire population, declaring themselves or identifying themselves as Christians, rather, only 15% of all Aussies actually attend church once a month. And so there are many varied reasons why people don't attend church and, or are not connected to a church. But mostly it's because people don't like what they have experienced there. A couple of years ago, Wendy and I met a woman at a residence association meeting. It was like a Christmas function. We went there for drinks. We moved into our new area and we thought, oh, let's get to know people. Let's be really, you know, uh, what's the word for it? Like not communal, but part of the community. And um, so I went to this function and got chatting to people. And while I was chatting to this woman, I told her what I did for a living. Bad mistake. At that time, I was actually... Only a lecturer at the at the theological college, and I was a lecturer in intercultural studies. And I told her that that I, you know, was a lecturer at the Baptist Theological College, and uh, it sort of triggered this really strong reaction in her. And then for the next fifteen minutes, she told me quite frankly why she hated the church and why she'd never wanted to attend one. She said the church had too much money when there was so much need in the world. She said the church had been complicit in the child sexual abuse scandals and had even covered them up at times, and they had a lot to answer for. She said that the church was too judgmental when it came to issues of gender and sexuality and not loving or sympathetic as the Bible taught. This uh, conversation sort of left me a bit shocked. I had to go home after that. uh, But such negative views are not that uncommon, are they? The social commentator Hugh Mackay, in his analysis, he says that Aussies don't like the church because they they don't see it it as relevant to life in the modern world. They also see it, the church as not being very welcoming and they see church as boring. It's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it, hearing what people think about the church? especially as many of us know and experience it quite differently. But if we're really interested actually in in people knowing around us, knowing and loving Jesus, which I believe that we are, then we need to know why so many people are put off by the church today, since it's actually mainly through the ministry of the local church that actually people come to know who Jesus is. And, uh, and or hear about Jesus and know him for themselves. We live in what's known now as a post-church society. So that means that many people no longer actually see the church as, uh, as relevant. In years gone by, a large sort of segment of society had an affinity with Christianity and the church. And so you could talk to people on the street, your neighbours, you could talk to people at work, uh, and you could even talk about certain ideas, even talk about, you know, appeal to certain stories in the Bible, and people would have, have some sort of idea of what you were talking about. 
even if they didn't agree with what you were talking about, they would actually have an idea what you were, what you were on about. Friends, those days are gone. According to the 2019 National Church Life Survey, only 50% of Australians actually believe that Jesus was a real person who lived. The other 43% of our population actually believe that Jesus is a mythical person or a fictional character and, and, and a number of them don't even know uh, who he is at all. Therefore, one of the biggest belief blockers stopping people exploring Jesus is actually the church itself. Whether the issues that people have about the church are real or imagined, we need to know how to address them. And we need to try and address them if we can. And so to do this, we need to, we need to uh, address the incorrect views of the church that actually we have of the church ourselves. It's not just people out there who have a different or warped idea of the church. I think actually our idea of the church sometimes is not as it should be, not as Jesus intended it to be. And so this morning, the question that I want us to look at is what is the church and what does Jesus intend us to be? Is, in the Bible, there are lots of different images that, we can, that are used to describe the church. And today I want to use five images. Sorry, I didn't mean to put that finger down there. Five images, uh, key images to help us to become the church that Jesus intends us to be so that people can actually know Jesus and begin to follow him themselves. So the first image that we need to embrace is that the church is people. The church is not a building. It's not an institution. It's actually not the Sunday service, although we sort of talk about church in those terms. In fact, the original word in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, uh, it didn't actually have even a religious meaning when they talked about church. It simply meant a gathering of people or people who assembled together for a purpose. And in this case, Christians were gathering because they followed Jesus. They loved Jesus. And so when we know, we know that the, we actually know that the original word for church wasn't, uh, was never used to refer to, a, to a, a building or even a religious building because, in fact, the early church didn't have any buildings. <laughs> they actually, first of all, met in the temple court, in te temple colonnades, and when they got thrown out of there, they began to meet in people's houses. And that's actually what the church the church actually were people meeting in different people's homes for hundreds of years. And it was a way that the church actually spread. After the resurrection of Jesus, the believers met in one of the, the colonnades, as I mentioned, and then in people's houses. And so today the church consists of, of people who call Jesus Lord. And guess what? It numbers 2.4 billion people in the world. And so there are also lots of expressions of the church, local ex expressions of it. And we are one expression of it this morning. This church, Mooney Ponds Baptist, is one expression of that church. But also within our church, we have smaller expressions of the church. We actually have connect groups and other groups that actually are people who love Jesus and are meeting because they love Jesus and want to encourage other people to do that. 
So for people to know Jesus today, they need to know that, um, that Jesus isn't calling them to come to some sort of sacred building. He's not, jo- he's not actually asking them to join some sort of institution or, or some sort of organisation. Instead, Jesus is actually inviting people to, to join the worldwide community of people who know and love Jesus and be part of a local and intimate expression of that where they live so that they can be loved, so that they can be discipled, so that they can be equipped to serve God and other people more effectively. So the second word or or image in the New Testament that we need to have in our minds for church is friends. The church consists of people who are friends with Jesus. And as a result, they're friends with one another. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. (laughs) He's called us friends. Can you imagine that? For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Church is not therefore primarily what happens in our rituals or our ceremonies, It's primarily a community of people who are friends with Jesus. And because of of our friends, our friendship with Jesus, we're actually able then to go on and build friendship with one another. And so for me, I found this a very beautiful and powerful image of the church. The most powerful, probably, until I get to the others that I'm coming to. (laughs) In society, people find it hard, don't they? to get on with other people, especially people who are not like them. You think about it. I don't want to see a show of hands. Personalities, heritages, social backgrounds, upbringings, they make, it, make us all very different, don't they? And at best, you know, at best at the office or sporting club, people actually tolerate people who are not like them. But if we're honest... We try to avoid them because we don't think we'll get on with them. But the thing about Jesus is that he wants to be friends with everyone. And and what is even more powerful is that Jesus' love for us, that he has for us, and that we grasp and that we feel actually enables us to actually go on and have love for other people that we, it actually enables us to be friends with his friends These, and friends with people who are very different to us. You know, I'm part of a connect group. Uh, if I wasn't, I'd be a hypocrite, wouldn't I? Because I pro, pro, you know, promote it each week. But I love our connect group. We're all very different people, culturally different. Our group consists of people of African heritage, Indian heritage, Karen heritage from Myanmar, Anglo-Aussie heritage, and it it also consists of of some people who really don't know who they are anymore. And that's Wendy and I, because we've sort of lived all over the place. We feel a bit discombobulated. But we have introverts and extroverts. We have computer geeks and nurses. We have fitness freaks and couch surfers. We have coffee lovers and chai lovers. But we have become dear friends to the point where we can share our hurts and our pains with each other 
honestly and openly and offer care to one another because we actually, we actually, uh, we actually love and trust one another. Such love is not natural in this world. It stems from the love that Jesus has for us and his love flows out of us and into the lives of others. In the New Testament, the word used for this type of relationship is the word fellowship. And so fellowship is a, is a depth of relationship that actually isn't stopped by age, by ethnicity, by class, education, culture, gender or personality type. And it, and it actually leads to deep connecting, more than that you will ever experience in any other sort of social network or club. John says in his first letter that this is what the believers have with God and it's what Jesus enables his followers to have in their horizontal relationships as well. John says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. They've experienced this. That's what they're saying. We've experienced this so that you also might have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. This is why the image of the church as friends and Jesus and friend, uh, as, as, uh, as friends with Jesus and friends with each other is so important. Everyone needs to experience fellowship in order to thrive in life. Everyone needs deep friendship. But to experience deep friendship in which fellowship takes place amongst people who are so different, you actually need a mutual friend, don't you? To bring you together and to keep you together. And that person this morning, friends, I want you to know that person is Jesus and he will do that for you and do that for us. How does the world then become friends with Jesus? Well, they do so when they actually see us in friendship with one another. They see us in friendship with Jesus and with one another and, ha and having fellowship with people who are different to us. And they see that every time that we gather together in whatever form we do it. Like we are this morning, we're in our small groups. One thing we need to know though is that the world doesn't see this when we just stay on our own. This is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to gather so that we can strengthen and encourage one another and to renew and deepen our friendships with one another. The writer to the book of Hebrews, writer of the book of Hebrews says it this way. He says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. If the writer of the book of Hebrews says don't stop meeting together, it means that some people had stopped meeting together at that time and what it did is it actually impacted their ability to fellowship. The New Testament image of the church is actually a group of people who are friends with Jesus and friends with each other. And for the world to know and love Jesus themselves, they need to see this relationship or these relationships in action. The third image that we need to embrace for the church is family. John says in John 1.12 that when we receive Jesus, 
we become children of God. This means that every person who actually knows and loves Jesus is actually also, guess what? (laughs) Our brother and sister. Family is what gives the church unity. We're not just friends, we're also family. And so as with any family, as we know, brothers and sisters can see things differently and they don't always agree. Brothers and sisters may even experience periods when they don't see each other for a time. But even when this happens, they remain siblings. Nothing can actually end that relationship. And so today, Jesus' church is one family, although it seems divided. But like a divided family, we should, seek to, we should be seeking to heal the divisions and seeking to reconcile where possible with one another. Because people outside of the family actually see those divisions And those divisions actually put them off. This doesn't mean that we need to go against our conscience or against our understanding of the truth. But it means this, friends, as one ancient writer said, on necessary points, unity. On the questionable points, liberty. In everything, love. In order for people to know and love Jesus today, they need to experience the church as a united family. This doesn't mean avoiding hard discussions uh, about how we understand the Bible or how we understand society. Church leaders and theologians often discuss those things and and, uh, they don't always come to the same conclusions. But unity can still be achieved with differences of opinion and differences of understanding. And it can take place by people like us, ordinary Christians, getting together and praying and celebrating what we have in common with one another. Because we actually have more in common. And the more we focus on the core of our faith, which is Jesus, the the nearer that we actually will become to one another in our unity. In his first letter to the churches, John challenges followers of Jesus to see themselves as a family despite differences, saying, he said this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. They're fellow believers in every denomination, friends. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father, what do they do? They love his children as well. Wow, that's challenging, isn't it? In order for the world to know and love Jesus, we need to see ourselves as a family with people from other denominations. Because if they believe that Jesus is Lord, then they are our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. It will be as the old song that we used to sing says, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We are one in the spirit. I don't want to start singing it because then you'll hear my voice. But, uh, and plus, I don't know all the words. But anyway, I know, that, I know that line. It really, 
grips me this morning. So the world needs to see us deeply loving each other in order to see the actual authenticity of our faith. Because without love, we're a sham. The fourth image we need to embrace for the church is that it is the home of God. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple uh, were places where God was said to dwell by his spirit. And this is why people would go up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray and worship. But in the New Testament, God does a new thing through Jesus. And we're told that God no longer or doesn't dwell in a temple or a building made of human hands. Um, but now he dwells in his people through his spirit, as it says in Acts 7.48. Stephen says, the Most High doesn't live in temples made of human hands. In other words, God's dwelling is not in a tent or in a physical building. His dwelling is actually now in people through his spirit, which is good news for us and also good news for the people who do not yet know him. Because it means that we don't actually have to go to a special place in order to meet with God. Because actually God is in us. Paul spells this out to the Ephesians when he says, We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Many people today call themselves spiritual, don't they? But not religious. They long for a spiritual encounter. The question that we should ask ourselves in, then is how can people have a spiritual encounter with God today? Most of them won't come into a building like this. But we, can, we actually do spend a lot of effort and time trying to get them into the building like this. But understanding that God's dwelling is not actually in this place, but it's actually in us as a people, means that it's not necessary to make those people come in here in order to encounter God. Jesus tells his followers where God's presence will be. And he never mentioned a building. He said, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Today, people encounter God in and through us as we gather. And so Jesus promises to be in our midst when we gather in his name as connect groups or around a communal meal or, uh, or with other believers and friends and relatives. And so this means, what this means for us, and we need to grasp this and we need to grab hold of it because it's a really exciting way to actually share hope and love and truth about Jesus, is that Jesus can be present at a meal. He can be, he's present at a barbecue that you have or a walk in the forest. These can actually be sacred and spiritual moments because Jesus is there with us. If we embrace the fact that God's home is with his people and that Jesus is with us by his spirit as we do these things, then these can be vehicles in which people encounter Jesus through us. When we gather in twos and threes, tens and twenties and in fifties and hundreds or even thousands, imagine that, we need to know and believe that Jesus is in our midst and we need to actually be expectant that he's there. 
or here. <laughs> and then we need to ask him to guide us and lead us and be revealing himself to us. We need to treat, connect, treat our connect groups as not just like a business meeting or some sort of gathering. We need to, uh, and other groups, we need to actually see them as sacred gatherings in which God is present in the same way that we actually believe that he's present here this morning. Friends, there's nothing more that the world needs than to see the church as people who are friends with Jesus and friends with each other and as a community in which God is present by his spirit and where they too can join and feel at home. The fifth image this morning that we need to embrace is that the church is Jesus' body on earth. In the New Testament, Paul says to the Corinthians, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So Jesus promised before he went to be with his father that he would actually continue on his work in the world through his people. And he said that his, his people would do all the things that he did and more. And so what this means is that the church, us, this group of friends of Jesus, this family, we're Jesus' hands, his feet, his voice today in the world. And the way that the world encounters Jesus is through us, his body engaging with the world around us. Jesus didn't write a, a letter. He didn't write a book with instructions in it. Instead, he, what he did is he actually formed a community in his own image. And so he started with this group of 12 guys and then it started to grow into a, a larger group, including women. And for 2,000 years, this group has been growing and growing and today it consists of 2.4 billion people around the world. And also it consists of all those people through history who have actually known Jesus and followed Jesus and even died. Now the church is currently declining in the West for various reasons. But the church is not in decline worldwide, friends. It's actually growing faster than at any other time in human history. Today, tens of thousands of people will come to the Lord. Can you believe that? Around the world today, tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people will come to know Jesus as Lord. In Africa in 1900, there are estimated to be 10 million Christians. In 2021, they're estimated by the Gordon-Conwell University to be 685 million Christians in Africa. In Latin America, there's a similar story. In 1900, there was estimated to be 21 million Christians. By 2021, there are 617 million Christians in Latin America. In China, in 1940, there are estimated to be 4 million Christians. Today, there are well over 100 million Christians in China. And so China, they're estimating, will be the, could be the largest Christian country in the world in time to come. Can you imagine that? God can. How is it growing? How is it continuing to grow? That's what we need to ask ourselves. How does it grow? It grows as it's always grown, through people being Jesus' hands and feet and voice to the people around them. There are a couple of last things I want to tell you about this morning. 
that we need to grasp about being the body of Christ. If we want people to know and love Jesus today, first, just like a human body, okay? Every part of the body has a role to play. There are no bits of your body that are useless and without function. So too, there are not meant to be members of Christ's body who also are not serving him in some way. Paul told the Colossian church that every believer needed to use their gifts and talents for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so the church is actually the biggest volunteer organisation in the world. We are part, we're, and we're part of it here at Mooney Ponds. Every day around Melbourne, around Australia, throughout the world, people are being Jesus' body, feeding the hungry, encouraging the brokenhearted, visiting the sick, serving people in prison, caring for ex-offenders, fighting, for injust, fighting against injustice, fighting human trafficking, praying for people, sharing hope, proclaiming what God is doing in people's lives. How then does the church overcome one of the biggest belief blockers that turns people off Jesus and Christianity? How do we do that? Well, we do so by actually embracing our role as Jesus' body seriously. Every single one of us. If you know and love Jesus today, then you're part of his body. And the question we need to ask is, how, how, how am I using what God has made me? Or am I using what, how God has made me and given me for his glory? How will I use it? And am I using it? The author and pastor John Wimber tells a story about a member of his congregation who, uh, who'd met someone in the community who was in great need. After church one Sunday, this man told John, about his frustration in trying to get help for this person that he'd met. They told John that, uh, that this person needs a place to stay. He needs food. He needs support. And uh, while he gets on his feet and while he's looking for a job. But then he continued. He said, but I feel really frustrated, Pastor. I tried phoning the church office, but no one could see me. And they couldn't help me. I finally ended up having to let this man stay with me for the week. Don't you think the church should be taking care of people like this? He asked John Wimber. John Wimber thought for a moment and then he said, it looks like the church has helped him. Friends, Jesus will be encountered by the world when they see us being Christ's body in the world. Not by all of us doing the same thing, but by each of us serving others under the guidance and in the power of the Holy Spirit as we are equipped and led to do so. And so when this occurs, something beautiful is created. It's like an orchestra because that sounds beautiful, doesn't it, when every person's actually in that orchestra is actually has their instrument and they're all playing to one tune. So too, the people of God are beautiful they're a beautiful body of Christ to the world when they are seeking to serve people using whatever skill or gift or ability they have in the name of Jesus and in tune with the Holy Spirit.
Mother Teresa said this, You can do what I cannot do. I can do what you cannot do. But together we can do great things. Finally, above all and in all these images of the church is love. Jesus loves the church because it's his body and it's connected to who he is and his mission to the world. He loved us so much that he actually gave up his life to bring it into being and to give it power. And so we must also love the church and seek the church, seek to be the church that Jesus intends us to be. Not our own image of it, not our own made up ideas about it. We need to understand the church as Jesus intends it to be and seek to be that. Because this is the only way that the world will see Jesus and follow Jesus and become people who love the church themselves. As the band comes up, and as we come to a time of communion this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to say that there's no better time to confess your incorrect or wrong images of the church that you've had. There's no better time to ask Jesus to actually help you grasp what he wants the church to be. You see, that question is not for other people to ask. It's not for the deacons to answer and tell us. It's for all of us to grasp this morning. There's also no better time than to ask Jesus to show you your gifts and your talents and to give you courage and power to step out and use them for his glory so that others can see and know Jesus themselves. As Perry begins to pray, play, I want us to take a moment to reflect on the images of the church that, that I've talked about this morning. Maybe you've been loving Jesus but struggling to love the church. Today is a great time to tell Jesus that. I imagine that Jesus doesn't like the church that you don't like either. And he wants us to build us into his image for the church. Are you willing to let him do that? Are you willing to allow him to use you as he sees fit? Let's spend a few moments reflecting and talking to God ourselves.